1, verses 21 through 28. Jesus and his followers went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and started teaching. The people were amazed by his teaching, for he was teaching them with authority, not like the legal experts. Suddenly there in the synagogue, a person with an evil spirit screamed, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One from God. Silence, Jesus said, speaking harshly to the demon. Come out of him. The unclean spirit shook him and screamed, then it came out. Everyone was shaken and questioned among themselves, What's this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands unclean spirits and they obey him. Right away, the news spread about him throughout the entire region of Galilee. Today, we meet up with Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry, fresh off his baptism, his 40-day retreat into the wilderness, his announcement that the kingdom of God is at hand, and his calling of the disciples with the briefest of sermons that inspired them to drop their fishing nets and follow. It's the Sabbath, so Jesus takes his friends to the temple in Capernaum, and there he begins to teach. Frederick Beekner claims, The most hopeful part of the church service is the moment when the preacher walks to the pulpit and pulls the little chain on the pulpit that turns on the light. It's in that moment that the congregation waits for a word from God. Maybe there might be a word for them today. Maybe they will hear something to deliver them from whatever they may be facing for that day, that week, that year. My favorite part of sermon preparation comes before I've written a single word. It's in that moment when I light a candle and open my Bible, even to a strange story like this one. It's just before I read a passage for the 10th time or the 100th time. I carry as fervent a hope as anyone who stumbles into a sanctuary on Sunday morning or an online service that maybe I too will hear something to deliver me from what I am facing for that day, that week, that year. Something I can share with others like a hungry person telling another hungry person where to find bread. The preaching task has been described as keeping our folks alive in the wilderness. And in the times we are in, that feels more real to me than ever. I keep going to the scriptures for that living word because I experienced the power of the word in my own life. I was blessed with a college professor and a campus chaplain who made the Bible come alive in new ways because they embodied the stories. They spoke with authority because they knew Jesus, followed him in their ordinary paths, imagined him at table, at the food bank and in the street. Scripture became alive to me And I became a disciple, not of my campus chaplain or college professor, but of the living story to which they introduced me. And I'm a disciple still. I love the quotation from Dallas Willard that discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. God's call to each one of us is unique. When Jesus taught in that synagogue so long ago, I don't think his listeners were astounded because he made all the right citations of scripture and rabbinical teaching. The scribes already did all that. 
the new thing was that in some way Jesus announced God's reign with authenticity and spiritual authority. His invitation was radical and it overwhelmed the vital space of those he encountered. We too become more uniquely ourselves as we create space inside to be transformed by the power of God. Jesus was teaching in Capernaum and from the back of the room came a voice loudly interrupting him. Who knows how long the man had been standing there without anybody taking notice. Was he part of the congregation or was he a stranger who wandered off and came inside? We're told he was possessed by an unclean spirit, which could mean illness, disease, or something that caused him to suffer and kept him from worshiping God. This man, one of the congregants on that particular day, was maybe too waiting to hear a word, some truth that would deliver him for what he was facing that day, that week, that month. Could Jesus touch that place deep inside, that part of him, the spirit that was binding him and keeping him from God? Well, something in Jesus' message hit home, and the unclean spirit suddenly shouts out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Maybe you've heard a version of the old story where the new preacher shows up in an Appalachian church and is warmly received by his new congregation. The first Sunday he preaches on the Ten Commandments, and they love it. The second Sunday he preaches a fire and brimstone on chastity and marital fidelity, and they love it. The third Sunday, he preaches against the sins of drinking and the evils of making moonshine, and the congregation gets quiet for a while. And finally, one man in the back stands up and interrupts. What is it, says the preacher. Son, answers the man, you done quit preaching and gone to meddling. Most of the stories of Jesus in the Gospels are stories about meddling. Showing up in synagogue and talking trash to evil spirits is only the beginning. Jesus will challenge the authorities, turn tables in the temple, bless the meek and the poor, judge the proud, speak freely to sinners, call his followers to pick up their cross, heal the broken, enter the city with a parade, cause commotions of various kinds, and break the bonds of sin and death. Yeah, meddling. If we are prepared to listen for God and persistent in the practice of showing up and expecting a word, then we have to be prepared for Jesus to meddle in our lives and to get at the strongholds that keep us captive. Webster's defines a stronghold as a place that has been fortified so to protect it against attack, or a place where a particular cause or belief is strongly defended or upheld. The term stronghold appears at least 50 times in the Bible, and most commonly it aligns with that first definition, a fortress. But the Apostle Paul uses the term in the second way, to describe an ingrained mindset or attitude which keeps us from the things of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we live as human beings, but we do not wage war according to human standards, for the weapons of our warfare are not merely human. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. It is impossible to name all the potential strongholds that can grip a person. But in almost three decades of ministry, I've grown to recognize a few common ones. The root of bitterness directed to others, to God, and ultimately to oneself. The persistent hold of addiction. 
the deep-seated shame and unworthiness, the withholding of forgiveness, all things that can feel like unclean spirits which keep us from fully embracing God's love and God's call. Not only are there individual strongholds, but there are communal ones as well, ingrained mindsets and attitudes that keep us from God's kingdom. And it's crucial that as we move along the path of discipleship, we're freed from our personal demons so God can use us to wrestle with the powers of evil at loose in the world. That's why so many of Jesus' miracles are exorcisms. That's why every week we confess our sin before we hear the word of God. It's why in our baptismal promises, the very first question, even before the one about believing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, is this one. Do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce evil and its power in the world? That's not a throwaway line. In our gospel story today, the unclean spirit immediately recognizes that Jesus and the reign of God represent a comprehensive threat to the whole realm of evil. What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? The forces of evil know of the healing power of Jesus's words. They're not submissive or indifferent. Jesus' powerful teaching disrupts the undisturbed presence of evil. His word brings healing and has the potential to liberate the earth from the forces of evil and make our world habitable for the human being. His word guides the church to create spaces of freedom and places of healing and communion. Professor Otto Scharmer in his book, Theory U, says the real battle in the world today is not among civilizations or cultures, but among the different evolutionary futures that are possible for us and our species right now. What is at stake is nothing less than the choice of who we are, who we want to be, and where we want to take the world we live in. The real question then is what are we here for? That campus chaplain who made the gospel real to me so long ago constantly questioned us. Why are you here? Where is God at work? What are you called to learn, to understand, and to do, and to forgive? There was a good deal of meddling. Before we set off on a month-long mission trip to Peru, we had a year-long commitment to study the history of the people and the languages, the actions of our own country in Peru, both positive and negative in the 70s and 80s. We were trained to assist doctors and dentists, but we also completed a course in public health we learned that our impact would be short-lived if we didn't invest in advocacy and education. In the context of that cross-cultural and bilingual Christian community, the word of God came alive for us. And many of us on that trip were freed from our personal demons. We learned through experience that discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Today, the disciples of Fairmount engage an ongoing mission around youth, poverty, and education, as well as a commitment to intentional diversity and anti-racism. And one way we express that is by partnering with Batay 105, improving life within the sugarcane fields of the Dominican Republic. The youth mission trips of the past have blossomed into a long-term commitment to improve social and economic mobility for the people, to advocate for justice for them, 
with a dedicated focus on education, we know the forces we're up against and our need for the power of God in Christ to be at work. For this mission, and for many more we undertake in the name of Jesus, we are sorely in need of Mark's gospel word. The power of God in Christ is stronger than evil, stronger than demons that have us in their grip. Jesus throws himself into battle against unclean spirits that disfigure our lives, and the Holy Spirit most certainly goes around stirring and meddling and strengthening us to join Jesus in unmasking idolatries in church and culture and in our own hearts. We keep going back to the scriptures because they are a living word that feeds us, and we share the word as one hungry person telling another where to find bread which is the best definition of evangelism. Recently, I saw a photo posted by a pastor friend with a wicked sense of humor standing in the pulpit and she was facing her computer, the sanctuary was empty. And the caption said, just wanted everyone to know that after preaching to this laptop last night, it's since made a $250 donation and signed up for the thinking about becoming a member class. Hashtag evangelism. Friends, I know you're tired of turning to your computer or your smartphone screen to hear a word from God. I'm tired of preaching into the void of cyberspace. But this is what we have now and most likely for a little longer. This is how we can keep another, one another alive in the wilderness. Jesus is persistently moving into all of our spaces, home space, worship space, street space, cyberspace, to free us from all that holds us captive and all the strongholds. And for now, that is enough. Give us this day our daily bread. Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen.